Hey, it worked. Uh, yeah. Happy public domain theme song means only one thing, Doc. And what could that be? That's time for history if you're high again. All righty. All right. Now, please understand, people. If you're looking for a, like, serious history podcast, you know, look somewhere else. We kind of have fun with it. But we do actually do our research. That that we actually do. But sometimes we just toss that aside because the story's better, you know. So anyway, we're here. My name's Sam. I'm here in the studio, 3.2 miles away is Doc. Howdy. Yeah. And uh. Pierre can't make it his nanny duties. Or no, yeah, Pierre's actually a nanny. So, uh, no, he's playing virtual reality. <laughs> no, he's probably got the kid doing it so he doesn't have to watch him, you know? <laughs> so anyway, that's what we do here. We kind of take the lesser-known stories in history and uh, try to shed a little light on them, but mostly... You know, have a good time. And, uh, you went to the heart doctor today, Doc? Yeah, yeah. Um, I had to go to the cardiovascular place and get a uh, lower extremity uh, ultrasound. Oh, an in depth one, huh? <laughs> yeah, Nick. It's just like any other ultrasound, you know, like women get for a pregnancy or like they look at my bladder whenever I go to the uh, ass doctor. Right, right. And, but, uh, but they're looking at like blood flow to like your legs and shit like that, right? That's, yeah. That's yeah. kind of what they're looking for. Yeah. Yeah, I've had that. And uh, I'll tell you one thing, man, that goo juice, I don't care where it is. <laughs> The goo juice they put on you is fucking cold. Yes, it is. Why don't they warm that crap up? I don't know. I think they do it just to embarrass you. You know, because everything shrivels up. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, uh, got up there and she goes, uh, you know, take off your shoes, take off your pants, you can leave your underwear on. So, well, it says in the thing that I have to wear underwear. Yeah, absolutely. So, so I get up there on the table, and uh, she moves the paper sheet around and starts stuffing it up my fucking tidy whities <laughs> Something I haven't worn in years, folks. Yeah, uh, you're usually a commando kind of guy, right? Yeah. Yeah. Ew. 
Ooh, I'm sorry, Doc. I just pictured it. Ooh. Hey, yeah. hey, and that's, that's not why a, my nuts usually are hanging down to my knees now because of gravity. Yeah, and I'm, that's not an insult. I'm an old man now too. You know, picture me. Yeah, my nuts. Yeah, you know, when I was younger, I used to sit down and pee, right? Because I didn't want to have to clean the floor. Cookie would bitch, you know, pee on the floor. I would have to mop up the fucking bathroom every fucking day, right? So I started sitting and peeing. Well, now if I sit and pee, my balls hit the water. Yeah. Yeah. It does. It, you Man, know, it's cold. Yes, exactly. Uh, yeah, and it's got like that blue stuff I use. So I got like blue <coughs> nut hair. Oh, it's just yeah. embarrassing. Just fucking embarrassing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, fuck. Yeah, and like I tell you, it's a paper day for the cats here. Uh, remember last week, uh, everybody's allergies were going fucking nuts, and Pierre had pulled out like a, a toilet paper roll and started stuffing toilet paper yeah. up his nose to stop the flow. Well, apparently, I guess he forgot where he put that toilet paper roll because the n- next night for the podcast, he got a second one, which I didn't find out until like Monday when both Bud and Miles had their own separate full paper towel rolls that they were shredding all through the motherfucking house, right? They were having so much fun, I couldn't beat them right then and there. So I just let them go, right? And then I, you know, I kind of swept all the fucking shit up. But they're into the paper thing now, right? You know, Bud always is. I mean, you remember every time you would drop a piece of paper on the floor, Bud would sit up on his back legs and just start fucking gnawing that shit. Yeah, so I gave him a bunch of, uh, uh, I had a bunch a stack of index cards with shit written on it. I didn't remember what it was. Some notes to myself. And I was throwing them on the ground letting the cats, you know, chew them and shred them up. I found this one, though. Hang on. Yeah, I got it in my pocket. Uh, let me take off my glasses here. You know, I still haven't found my other glasses. <laughs> no, I'm still wearing those other glasses. Uh, the ones loosed on, I still haven't found them. All right, yeah. I found this written. And it's in the, uh, the shit, you know, uh, below my computer monitor. Right? Like I keep notes for the podcast or whatever. So yeah. This one says, it's time for northerners to give up their outdated notions about the South. I hope I wrote that in sarcasm. <laughs> because that's dumb as fuck. Because all they got to do is come down here and everything they ever thought about the South would be validated less than 10 minutes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Everything you think the South is, yes, it is. Yes, it is. You know? We're still fighting the Civil War down here. Oh, yeah. For some fucking reason, right? Yeah. For some fucking reason. They're tearing down the, the statues, but we're still fighting the war. Yeah. I don't... 
it had to be something sarcastic that I was going to be getting at, and then I just quit writing, I guess. <laughs> but, uh... It must be the meds. It has to be. Yeah, but Northerners, no. No, you're right. Everything you think of the South is right and worse. Right, Doc? Oh, yeah. Because you're not part of the South. You're Texan. Yeah. That's its own independent thing, right? That's how the South thinks about Texas, too. Not just the North. Even the South goes to South. Well, Texas is not the South. They're the West. That's kind of how it goes. Yeah, well, so. Yeah, they expect us all to be wearing cowboy hats and carrying six shooters. <laughs> and you know, they're almost right. Yes, yes. <laughs> you go to certain Texas towns, yes, that's exactly it. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you know what I found at the store? What? Some fucking chicken and a biscuit. Oh, all those yeah. crackers? Ain't seen them in forever. So I, I like grabbed a box, right? And I'm like, oh, fuck, I hadn't had these in so long. I hope they're still good. I used to love them as a kid. And then I get home and I, I look at like my receipt and stuff and I chicken in a biscuit. five ninety five <laughs> for a little box of chicken in a biscuit. Oh, well, I guess crack is done going up. They better be good. That's all I'm saying. I used to love chicken in a biscuit. Remember doodads? Yeah, yeah. It, it was like Chex Mix in a box. It's not around anymore either. I used to love that too. All righty. So, ah, I uh, I, I keep getting uh, notifications on my email about once every three weeks from uh, uh, this guy that collects models. He's, he he buys up old collections, right, and then resells them, and oh, usually Mahler, most of the stuff the that he has on there, he usually has you know some really 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 old stuff, but the, the if you wait a day, they're all snatched up. <laughs> so I get the notification, and I'm looking through the list, and it's oh wait a minute, there's one from the the, the late sixties that. Oh man, I know it goes for a hundred bucks on eBay. Oh, here's another one that I've really been looking for. You know, I, you know. So I called them up and uh, I got the one that I wanted. It was real cheap. Oh, that's good. Is and, it the real? Uh, it's the real you know, thing. It's, it's one that if you see on eBay, it's for a hundred bucks at least. And uh, the other one, I was going, you know. I'm debating on it, and I was talking to the lady on the phone. She goes, well, what is it? So I flipped through the catalog again online while I was talking to her on the phone and and uh, said, well, you know, here's the number. This is the kit. And she goes, yeah, we still got it. I said, sold. So <laughs> I went ahead and splurged about 60-some-odd bucks on kits. kept saying... I don't know if my allowance can allow this. <laughs> she kept saying, well, how much is your allowance? <laughs> oh. <laughs> they got the, the, on their on their advertisements and stuff, they have a, they have a, a dog named Warehouse Winston, you know, and they always show him he's a he's a pug nosed bulldog. Okay. 
you know, looks like one of those dogs that somebody threw a brick at and he didn't duck. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, and then they got another little dog up there. I didn't even know about her. But I thought it'd be neat just to send them some uh, dog treats. So I went and bought a bunch of dog treats and mailed it to them, not letting them know that it was coming, <laughs> you know. And uh, they got them, and they thought it was really neat, and the dogs loved them. Said they didn't last but about a week. <laughs> so, well, <laughs> I guess it's time for me to go ahead and send another christmas package or care package you know because whenever i called her and told her my name i said yeah i'm the one who sent the the, the dog treat she goes oh yeah oh yeah <laughs> you think i get a discount Not no yet. <laughs> <laughs> we love our dogs but we like money more yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and as we speak i actually have a cat with one paw on my keyboard, well, just under my keyboard on the laptop, and the other part, another paw on the shelf, and the back paws on the arm of the armchair. Yes, and it's Big Lou, so he's a big. Yeah, he's a load. He's huge. He's a big boy. He's gonna he's gonna sneak that one little claw over there and push a button, <laughs> oh, act like nothing happened. Always does. Always does. All right. So, uh, yeah, I got my story this week, Doc. You got your story? Yeah. All right. Uh, let's let's get to something the... came up on Twitter, and I thought, hey, that would make a great. Actually, three things came up on Twitter, <laughs> and uh, I wrote two of them down i didn't think two of them were too good this one sounded better so i decided to do it okay so let's let's get to it get the joke his name is doc see they say doctor his name is it's humor. It's humor, people. It's a poor attempt, but it still is. Plus, it's catchy. Get back. All right, Doc. So, what's your story this week? Okay, this story is what makes. All blondes hate the term dumb blondes. Okay. And the sources are um, Gracie, A Love Story by uh, Penguin Books. Is that and Gracie from Burns and Burns yeah. and Allen? Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, and uh, Say Goodnight, Gracie, the story of George Burns and Gracie Allen. I see and uh, it's by Cheryl Bly, uh, 1989, Pima, uh, Pima Pub Book Club, or Pima Pub Books, and now we'll get into the story of Gracie Allen. All righty. Although it wasn't, she wasn't a blonde, but still, <laughs> that's still the term where anyway it looked that way in black and white 
Yeah. Um, she was born uh, July 26, 1902, although that is debatable. Mm. And she died August 27, 1964. And uh, she was born in San Francisco, California to George Allen and uh, Margaret Teresa Allen. And uh, they were both Irish Catholic. And she made, uh, you know, like I said, there is some discrepancy to her birth, depending on the sources. Allen allegedly had been born July 26, 1895, 1896, 1902, or 1906. Okay. All the public vital records held by the city and county of San Francisco were destroyed in the earthquake and great fire That's of right. 1906. Yeah. yeah. Her husband, George, professed not to know exactly how old she was, though it was presumably proven... Uh, that she was born on the 26th, 1902, which appeared on her death uh, records and a crypt marker. Um, um, she would also, also claim in her jokes that she was born in 1906. And uh, when they ask about you know her her birth certificate and her uh, and everything she goes well it was an awfully big earthquake <laughs> yeah and most of the information that came came from the u.s census because in 1900 according to the census records in the state of california uh, grace allen was bo uh, age four born in 1895 and uh <clears throat> had five siblings before 1900 that indicates that her birthday was July 26, 1895 is correct. There was no uh, really good record keeping back then anyway, you know. So, and especially in, in, in the occupation she was in, you always have to say you were younger than you were to get yeah. the part, you know. Keep going, Doc. I'm going to take a little walk across the room and grab something from this badass cat before <laughs> before he chews through it and stops the entire podcast. Keep going. Um, at the age of three, she was given her first role on radio by Eddie Cantor, and she graduated from Star of Sea Confident in 1914, Convent in 1914, and during that time she became a talented dancer and soon became performing uh, Irish folk dances with her three sisters billed as the four Colleens. In 1909 she joined her sis sister Bessie in, as a vaudeville performer and uh, at a performance in 1922 she, she met George Burns and the two formed a comedy act. They were married on January 7, 1926, at the stage of the Palace Theater in Cleveland by Justice of the Peace. Back then, though, Eddie Cantor was like the biggest star there was at that time. He was like One huge. Of the big, yeah. yeah. So that was um, not a bad start. 
one thing that is uh, never really said or nobody really notices about uh, Gracie was the fact that she was a heterochromania uh, chromania. She had two different colored eyes, one blue and one green. Oh, really? What's that called? Heterochromania. Uh, right. Okay, yeah. H-E-T-E-R-O-C-H-R-O-M-I-A. Chromania. I went to school with this girl named Giselle, who was fucking gorgeous, and she had one blue and one brown eye. And I always thought David Bowie was that, but then, like in in his biography, you know, he says that he's got a dead eye because he got punched in it way back when, he, you know, he way back in the androgynous days, lots of Britons didn't take kindly to it. He got smacked so hard in the face, it fucking, like, killed his eye and it turned gray. Yeah. That's why David Bowie has that gray eye and other eye, but he can't see out the gray eye. It just died. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's called capping. You're just full uh, of Burns knowledge now begin their act with Alan as a straight man setting up Burns to deliver the punchlines and getting the laughs. Burns later explained that he noticed that Alan's straight lines were getting more laughs than his punchlines. So the um, so the comedy flipped act uh, act over and made himself a straight man and let her get the laughs. Right. Audience immediately fell in love with Alan's character, who combined the traits of a, a navet zaniness with total innocence. Yeah, and. That fucking shit. That shit was still playing when I was a kid. That shit oh, yeah. was still on TV when I was a kid. Yeah. Uh, the reformulated team focused on Allen and toured the country, eventually heading to major vaudeville houses. Many of their famous routines were preserved in one or two real short films, including Lamb Chops, nineteen twenty nine. While the couple was still performing on stage, Burns attributed to the couple's early success to Allen, mostly ignoring his own brilliance as a straight man. He summed up their act in the in the classic quip, "All I had to do was say, Gracie, how's your brother?" <laughs> and they talked, and she talked for thirty-eight years. Right. And sometimes I didn't even have to remember to say, Gracie, how's your brother? Yeah, and he would just be constantly lighting and smoking a cigar, blowing the smoke, working on his ash, you know. Yeah. Fiddling with, and then he go, oh, and then what happened, right? And then he would, even in that routine, he would still have funniest fuck lines. You know, once the story built up to a point, he would give the punch to the entire story. And then they'd just go on to another. Yeah, it used to be funny shit, man. Oh, I'm, I'm fighting a cat. Burns and Allen frequently used running gags as publicity stunts during the 1932-1933 as they pulled off one of their most successful businesses in a year-long search for Allen's supposedly missing brother. 
you know, because, um, you know, Gracie would always go in. I've got to, you know, go into a story about, mm-hmm. I've got a brother who, yeah. and would deliver the whole the whole thing, including the punchline. They would make unannounced cameo appearances on the show asking if anyone had seen Alan's (laughs) brother. Gracie's real life brother was apparently the only person who didn't find the gag funny. He eventually asked them to stop. He even dropped out of sight for a few weeks at the height of the publicity. Oh, what a magic. And 19, yeah. How how hard is it raining at your place? Uh, it's coming down. It's coming down like a motherfucker right here. You hear that? I still got that hole in the side of the house. Oh no. Oh no. I I checked. I think all the shingles that from the hurricane that were in the yard, even though they're brown, I think they're from the Karen's house across the street. Hers are brown. And she's got like tarp over hers, right? Yeah. I haven't. I I looked up there. I there's. I can't see any spots, right? So I'm waiting for something to drip, right? And then I'll know where the spot is, but nothing's dripped. So I think it was all hers. Yeah. Oh, we we've only been through like five or six hurricanes this year. It's fine though, people. Oh yeah, everything's fine. It's what? wonderful. It's just what part, we'll get next year. Part of Louisiana. Hey, thank you. Burn more coal, please. <laughs> <laughs> In 1940, the team launched a similar stunt when Allen announced she was running for president of the United States oh. on the surprise party ticket. Burns and Allen did a cross-country whistle-stop campaign tour on a private train performing their live radio show in different cities and none of the campaign speeches. Gracie says, I don't know much about the Lynn Lease bill, but if we owe it, we should pay it. <laughs> Another typical Gracism you do on know. the campaign trail was like, everybody knows a woman is better than a man when it comes to introducing bills into the house. You know, if she ran today, she could have won. If Trump won, she could have won. So. <laughs> All you got to do the is... The surprise party mascot was a kangaroo and their motto was, it's in the bag. Oh, God. Uh, As part of the gag, Allen in reality, Burns and Allen writers published a book, Grace Allen for President, which introduced photographs from nationwide campaign tour and surprise party convention. Allen received an endorsement from Harvard University. Oh, God. <laughs> I did not know that. Yeah. That's, that's Allen was amazing. also a subject of one of S.S. Van Dyne's Philo Vance mystery novels, the Grace really? Allen murder case. Oh, fuck. Typically, she could not resist the classic Grace Allen review. S.S. Van Dyne is silly to spend six months writing a novel where you can buy one for $2.95. <laughs> I 
I did not know that was out there. I'm going to fucking buy her. Another publicity <laughs> stunt no, that had her playing that a like piano That like a real fucking author, you know. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I didn't mean to. Go ahead. Another publicity stunt was her playing a piano concerto at the Hollywood Bowl and later Carnegie Hall, where Burns and Allen's staff hired a composer to write the concerto for the index finger. Oh. A joke piece that had the orchestra oh. playing madly oh. only oh. pause while oh. Allen played one oh. finger oh. scale oh. with the final incorrect note. Oh. That's fucking brilliant. That's fucking the brilliant. Would That's play like the Monty Python shit right there, right? Oh, yeah. That's brilliant. The orchestra then played a musical piece that developed around the wrong note <laughs> and then on her final solo, Alan would finally hit the right nose, causing the entire orchestra to applaud. In fact, the actual index finger playing was done offstage by a professional pianist. She, That's all, folks. She couldn't even do the wrong notes. They had to hire somebody. <laughs> the concerto was featured in the film Two Girls and a Sailor in 1944, with the orchestra constructed by Albert Coates. Hmm. Then they went into television. Right. That's where I know. In the right. fall of 49. Hey. And Alan became part of the CBS talent raid. Right. You were only about like 15 guest star. Right? You were only about 15 in 49, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I had to get that one in, dude. Yeah. Feel free to interrupt mine. Go ahead. Sorry. The good friend and frequent guest star Jack Benny had decided to jump from NBC over to CBS. <laughs> and the mastermind of CBS had recently made it openly clear that he believed the talent and not the network made the difference. And that should be the way TV should be now. Is well, yeah, wish the it would. talent, not the network. Yeah, it's completely opposite now, man. Good God, it is. What's the last fucking like network TV show you ever got into and watched regular? Fuck, I can't. Oh, uh, I would have to. You know that that I remember as a kid, I'd watch a Man from Uncle. I mean, I, I I just I had to see every episode. Oh, that, well, that's just classic, though, man. Mm. Except you saw it when it came out. Yeah. <laughs> it was. Uh, it was. I guess uh, yeah. after that, it was um, Star Trek: Next Generation and Voyager. God, I think. And, and uh, I tried watching Gotham. Oh yeah, and, okay. Uh, yeah, that was like good at the beginning, and then just like got crappy. Yeah, the the, the plots all trailed off in different directions, and right. But it started off real good. I remember I saw like the first couple of episodes of that, and I was like, "Hey, I'll be interested in this." And then it just kind of turned into like you know, uh, fucking like Law and Order, right? Yeah, you got this story going here. You got this story going here. You got this story going here, which is great on Law and Order. But this is not Law and Order. This is fucking Gotham, right? 
I think the last one I probably just, you know, made made the moment to watch, like when I got home from work or whatever. It's probably like Third Rock from the Sun or Seinfeld. It would be that long ago. Because <coughs> soon after that, I got home, I'm watching DVDs, I'm watching, you know, Hulu, I'm watching whatever the fuck else, but what's I'm on TV because it's better. I go on YouTube and, and because I can, you know, my attention span is so screwed up that, uh, you know, <laughs> whatever's on YouTube, you know, it's it's in segments that I could watch entirely right, right. and not and not lose my chain of thought or be able to concentrate I'm on. I'm 100% with you, yeah. Yeah, thank you, Chemo. <laughs> thank you, OxyContin. Yeah. <laughs> Benny convinced Burns and Allen, among others, to join him on the move to CBS. The Burns and Allen radio show became part of the CBS lineup. And years later, they brought the show to television. They continued to use a formula which kept them in longtime radio stars, playing themselves, and only now as television stars. Still living next door to Harry and Blanche Morton, they concluded each show with a brief dialogue performance in the style of their classic vaudeville and earlier radio routines. Dude, I think that was like the first television show that actually like broke that fourth wall to where someone was talking to the camera yeah during the show nobody you know nobody else talked to the camera unless invited and then they would go oh hey how you doing like i never noticed you were there but i uh, i can't Alan retired uh, in 1958 and burns tried to soldier on without her mm. And the show renamed the George Burns Show. Right. The cast intact except for Alan. The located show was changed from Burns' home to uh, George Burns' office. And Blanche Wharton worked as Burns' secretary so she could also help Alan keep an eye on him. Alan's absence was too obvious and impossible to overcome. They renamed right. the show barely lasted a year. Now, they had done 18 films together. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They well, were not huge. together, but uh, Alan, I mean, uh, Gracie Allen had done 18 films, which she was in. Mm-hmm. Um, they were like they the made, big thing, yeah. Yeah, they did several short films uh, preserving their classic vaudeville routines on... on uh, Celluloid. They also made two films with W.C. Fields, International House and, and uh, Six of a Kind. I don't think I've seen either one of those, and I'm, I I have a big shitload of W.C. Fields movies here. I don't think, I think I've International seen. House is one of his is one of my favorites of W.C. Fields. Next to uh, It's a Gift. Yeah, I don't yeah, that I've seen, but I don't think I've seen International House. Okay, I got something to watch tonight. Thanks, Doc. Uh, Burns and Allen also starred with Fred Astaire and Damsel in Distress, a musical mm-hmm. with original score by George Gershwin 
and introduced the song A Foggy Day. It was Alistair's first RKO film without dancing partner Ginger Rogers. Uh, Astaire's co-star uh, co John Fontaine was not a dancer and he was reluctant to dance on screen alone, so he fell into the script needing more comic and and relief to enhance the overall mm. appeal of the film and Burns and Allen had re recently worked in vaudeville as dancers as hoofers yeah. before forming their act and uh, when the word of the project reached them they called us there and asked for an audition um, okay and they and were, just, just for like legal content it wasn't John Fontaine it was Joan Fontaine John Fontaine, yeah, okay. Yeah. Excuse me. Even though, I don't know, Fred's questionable. Could have been. <laughs> could have been. We don't know. Those guys uh, well, I'm looking at a picture of her, and no, uh, it's definitely a Joan. <laughs> okay. Yes, Joan she, she's de Boulevard de Havilland, also professionally known as Joan Fontaine, British-American actress, best known for starring roles in Hollywood films during the Golden Age. Strikingly She appeared beautiful. in 45 films. Uh, Burns contacted an actor once sent performed uh, a dance using brooms. For the next several weeks, he and Alan worked at home to learn the complicated routine for the audition. And when presented the whisk broom dance to a stair, he was so taken back, taken by it, that he had them teach it to him, and he added it to the film. The talents were further highlighted as matched mm -hmm. a stair step-by-step step in uh, the demanding funhouse dance. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Throughout the picture, Burns now an amazing uh, audience as critics as their uh, as they effortlessly kept pace with the most famous dancer in the in films. The fucking world, yeah. And then uh, n people just didn't know how well that that they could dance. Yeah, but they grew up in vaudeville. You had to do every fucking thing. Yeah, you had to do anything they asked you that day. You had to do. Yeah, they were talented, man. Uh, now this is where this part of the story gets a little uh huh okay. <laughs> the legend was born in vaudeville routine carried over to both radio and television shows were wrap, wrapped up Burns would look at Alan and say good night Gracie to which she would usually simply reply good night but popular <laughs> legend has it that she would say good night Gracie and according to George Burns' recordings of the radio and television shows and several historians of old-time radio, um, Gracie never used the phrase. This may have confused with, uh, been co this confusion might have been caused by Rowan and Martin's laugh-in. Right. Uh, exactly. Used a similar sign-off routine when Rowan would tell Martin to say "Good night, Dick," mm -hmm. and Martin would always say "Good night, Dick," okay. and it seemed something like Gracie Allen would have said. I think it says she did. They didn't do it in the radio. They might have done it in the TV show. Does it say they didn't do it in either? 
but says it was never done. Oh my goodness, that's one of the Mandela moments, right? Where it's something yeah. you just think happened, happened. And dude, Johnny Dunning's on the air. The Encyclopedia of Old Time Radio, for example, mm -hmm. said, and I quote, Gracie never used the phrase. George Burns uh, himself, in as much as an interview later, has added, surprisingly enough, no one ever thought of having Alan say goodnight, Gracie. However, the former Burns and Allen head writer Paul Hadding said uh, he did used to say goodnight, but in at least one episode of the Beverly Hillbillies, um, the. Uh, oh, sorry, that's goddamn. They laughed. And, and before laughing uh, premiere, Jed said, goodnight, Jethro. And Jethro would say, good night, Jethro. <laughs> <laughs> that's bizarre, because that's something like ingrained in my head that that happened at the end of every fucking episode. Say good night, yeah, say good night. We fucking made Pierre do it. Yeah, a couple it, of weeks. it's just like uh, that, play it oh, again, Sam. That's how you got this story. Because we made Pierre do that a couple of weeks ago. Dude, you're, you're yeah, sly. More than once. You're sly, man. You're slick. Okay. Well done, Doc. Uh, Burns and Allen adopted two children, Sarah, Jean, and Ronald John. After discovering they could not conceive on their own, they agreed to raise children as Catholic and let them make their own religious choices. Hmm. Uh Ronnie eventually joined the cast of his parents' television show playing George and Gracie's son. Are all my uh, pills bothering the sound here? I'm taking pills out of my pocket and they just go ahead. I'm sorry, Doc. Uh, I didn't mean to clatter. Give me one second and the clattering. Okay, the clattering's over, kind of. Okay. You can go. As a child, Alan had been scalded badly on one arm, and she was extremely sensitive about the scarring. Throughout her life, she either wore full or three-quarter length sleeves to hide the scar. The half-forearm be uh, style became such a Grace Allen trademark, trademark that many aprons and her iconic logic when the couple moved to Beverly Hills, acquired a swimming pool, Gracie put on a bathing suit, swam the length of the pool just to prove to the children that she could swim. She fought a long time of fear of drowning by privately taking swimming lessons. She never put on a bathing suit or entered the pool again. Alice was said to be so sensitive about having one green eye and one blue eye that some speculations existed that the plans to film the eighth season of the uh, Burns and Allen show in color prompted her retirement. Oh. However, this seems unlikely since one, the only one color episode was filmed in a broadcast in 1952 and the clip was seen on CBS anniversary show. The reason she retired in, 50, in 58 was her health uh, 
And Germs uh, Burns noted that uh, more than once she stayed with the television show as long as she did just please him in spite of her health problems. In later years, Burns admitted that he had a very brief affair, uh-uh. stricken by guilt. He phoned Jack Benny and told him about his indiscretion. However, Allen overheard the conversation and Burns quietly bought an expensive centerpiece. Nothing more was said. Years later, he discovered that Allen had subsequently told one of her friends about the affair fishing, finishing it with, you know, I really wish George would cheat on me again. I could use a new centerpiece. <laughs> Grace yeah. Allen fought a long battle with heart disease, ultimately dying of a heart attack in Hollywood on August 27, 1964, at age 62. Her remains were interned in a crypt at the Freedom Mausoleum in Forest Lawn Memorial Park. Mm. Of course, Forest Lawn Memorial Park is where all the actors go to get buried. Anybody who's in Marilyn Monroe, you know, they're all all there. Burns' remains were interned... um, at her side in 1966 when he died 32 years later at the age of 100. The Wait, maker of the... Hang cri- on. He, he wasn't put in there in 1966. He wasn't interned in 1966. Burns' remains were interned at her side in 66 no. when he died 32 years later. Okay. Wait a minute. Yeah, George Burns died. It's a misprint because it says here he died. Okay. okay. Oh, nineteen ninety-six. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. I was. I understand the end of what you were saying was correct, but then I couldn't understand why sixty-six. It's a fucking typo in there. Uh, okay. No, it's because I read it different. Damn glasses. <laughs> oh my god. I'm sorry, Doc. Was okay. interned in her side in nineteen ninety six okay. when he died thirty two later at the age of a hundred. Yeah. The marker on the crypt was changed from Grace Allen Burns, beloved wife and mother, to Grace Allen and George Burns together again. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah, they did uh eighteen films. And uh, 12 different radio shows. Fuck. Dating for years. Uh, and after she died, they uh, he used to like pose in Playboy and shit. You remember all that? He got huge. He was still making movies into his 90s. I mean, hit movies. Remember, mm-hmm. oh God, you remember how huge that shit was? Oh, yeah, yeah. He got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And then, you know, every stage he ever went on, he was smoking a cigar. It's funny about the the filmology because in the movies, shorts uh, here, they talk about uh, her name in the movies. It's like in Lamb Chops, it was Grace the Girlfriend. (laughs) <laughs> Big broadcast, it was Gracie. International House, it was Nurse Allen. Uh, College Humor, as herself. Uh, Six of Kind, it was Gracie DeVore. Gracie DeVore? Gracie. 
Yeah. Uh, Minnie Happy returns a first leading role as herself. Gracie Downey uh, as herself. Herself. Uh, here's one. The big broadcast in 1937. She plays Mrs. Platt. All right. Well, look, I'm going to play this little ad here. Take a walk, grab a beer while this ad plays. Do whatever you want, Doc. Your mic's on. Okay. You can You can do whatever the fuck you want. The pod- it doesn't work anymore. <laughs> wait. <laughs> you got to wait for the music. Hey, guys. You ever think about making your own podcast? I guess well, that's now, the music. there's an easy way to make, monetize, distribute, and record your podcast all in one place. That place is Anchor FM. Anchor FM makes podcasting easy. You can record directly onto the site. They will distribute your podcast to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever podcasts can be heard. Or you can direct it to your own choice of podcatchers. You can monetize your podcast with no minimum listener base. Anchor FM will match you with sponsors that particularly suit your podcast. Listeners can message you right on the site. And it's all free. That's right. Podcasts for free on Anchor FM. Face it. Free is a bargain at any price. Go to Anchor FM and start podcasting today. A bargain at any price, though. All right, let me pick this back up. Ah! <coughs> Free guys. is always a great price. <laughs> it only means you got nothing left to lose, right? Yeah. All right, hang on. There we go, now I'm back. Max on these fucking cats are shredding up paper like you can't goddamn believe. All righty. <coughs> Hell, that only lasted an hour. (laughs) Okay, my story is, uh, well, it was basically for Pierre, but he's not here. But you'll remember what I'm talking (laughs) about. You'll, uh, you'll remember this, and you probably have. I should remember. I'm old as dirt. (laughs) Hey, there's nothing wrong with dirt. So, let's see if I can get god damn it should I ate more of it when I was a kid <laughs> ate more dirt huh alright oh see. yeah alright I gotta uh, get away cat I, not right now cat I'm trying to do something kitty lemon drops uh, cinnamon. Oh. Jolly Rancher. Oh, yeah. Nothing but the best, huh? All right. Get that. And then do this. I'm getting there, Doc. It's just... It's just a big pain in the ass. All right. My episode... Story is the Neutron Bomb. Remember, uh. You remember that, bad boy? Yeah. I might need some help on some technical shit here, okay? I have it written down where I need you. You probably know more about this than I do. (sighs) 
but Pierre's not here, so, you know, our way. Here we go. Uh, back in the sweet and cuddly days of 1978, you remember those? Remember those days, Doc? Oh, yeah. Sweet and cuddly. Oh. Uh, you remember chicks didn't wear bras and they wore hip huggers? Oh, my God. Titties were still all different shapes. They didn't look exactly alike, right? They weren't yeah, all like yeah. big round things. They were like titties. Oh, God, I miss those days. Uh, yeah, back when 70 cents gets you a gallon of gas and uh, beer was a buck ninety-nine a six-pack, things were starting to stir. It was good times. Uh, an ounce of weed was ten bucks. Yeah, commercial. Remember commercial. Mm-hmm. Gold bub was forty bucks an ounce. Ludes were five bucks a piece. Happy times. Happy times. But then little bits of information seemed to like trickle in through the smoke. <laughs> the Cold War was raging on in Europe, and European troops were worried about how the Soviets were, you know, they're getting a bit aggressive. Uh, the USSR was flexing a bit of muscle, uh, and NATO troops gave a little shout to Jimmy Carter, like, hey, Jimmy, uh, give us a bit of deterrent here on the ground, you know, to keep the Cold War stalemate in place. That's what the entire thing was all always about. Remember that? Yeah. Just yeah. had to keep the stalemate. MAD, Mutual Assured Destruction. That's exactly. Keep it at a stalemate. Make sure nobody wins, nobody loses. Just keep it at a stalemate and spend both your countries into poverty, right? So that's what was going on at the time. But, uh, hey, Jimmy was Jimmy on the spot. And uh, See what I did there? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Jimmy on the spot. Uh, Anyway, he decided, you know, after meeting with his cabinet and shit, what they decided to do, they were going to send some ERW warheads to balance things off, right? That's what it that's what it was. Just some E, you know, RW warheads. That's going to balance yeah, it out. Enhanced uranium weapon, uh, radiation weapons. <laughs> yeah, I'll get there. I told you you don't because I got shit to ask you about this because there I read like three different things at least and I just couldn't understand something we'll get there let me take a drink that was a good drink yeah it seemed like you know everyday Cold War news when it made the networks, right? It just came out, hey, this is what's going to happen. Somewhere, way back in the distance of the bar, right? Somebody said, hey, what's an ERW warhead? Right? And Doc just told you what it is. <laughs> uh, so somehow, with all the d- destructive ca- uh, capacity... Uh, that as a whole, you know, people were okay with. Why haven't we heard of this before, right? 
Because you're constantly making shit that could like destroy the whole planet. Everybody, woohoo, wave the flag. It's okay. But why must it at, and you remember at this time, nobody had really heard what that was before. Because it had kind of been in the back burners for a long time. And this was like the first time they were admitting that they were going to deploy some. You know, they went to deploy it out to NATO and see what goes on. So, they're like, what the fuck is this? There was a slow build and people started to look into just what the fuck is going on? Turns out, ERW stands for what Doc said, Enhanced Radiation Weapon. Doc's a Marine, he knows. Okay, problem. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I had to go through a bunch of classes on that crap, along with uh, chemical warfare. and right. uh, You were there right about the time they started reissuing them. Uh, when, yeah. they started re- when they reopened the program. Yeah, we'll get to that. <laughs> Same, but hey, wait. What the fuck is that, right? <laughs> I never heard of it. What the fuck is that? Well, it turns out. Uh, in the late 50s and, and into the 60s, the War Department was working on what they called a cleaner bomb. That's what this is called, a cleaner bomb. Uh. Not cleaner like clean for the environment. Cleaner like cleans out people. Right? So, uh, not a bomb that's a cleaner. A bomb that would clean out all the troops, but leave their stuff there, ready to use. The entire population of cities could be wiped out, right? The radiation quickly clears, unlike thermohydro weapons. I mean, this shit literally in like a month. It's very low-dose radiation. Uh, And it's ready to repopulate, and guess what? The buildings are still, the cars are still there. Everything's still there. It's for you now. Dishes, pots, pans, curtains, appliances. Hey, look at this new home. It's all ready to go, right? Only in America would you care more about property than human beings, right, Doc? Yeah. Right? This shit was invented here. And that was the whole premise. It would wipe out the population, but leave everything still there standing and operable. And in a month, you could just move in any population you want. And they're living in the city that was still there. That's an American dream right there. I oh, mean, yeah. That is. So it started to hit people, wait, wait, we not only have the ability to do that, but we're already have the warheads ready to go, and they're being sent to Europe? Wait a minute, this is kind of all of a sudden, right? Because the public really didn't know about this, and it was just like trickling, trickling, and it was a very slow build. And uh, now... I've read three different articles describing how this works. And it makes me feel stupid. It really does. Because there's, there's shit I just cannot understand. Uh, 
This is more up Doc's alley than mine, and I'm going to give it a shot here, okay? And then when I'm finished, Doc's going to correct me for everything I got wrong. <clears throat> Doc is way more. <laughs> this is up Doc's alley way more than mine, okay? Doc's actually dealt with these things, probably. So, okay. It is a thermonuclear class weapon but it's extremely low yield. The fusion reaction, God, um, it's, not, it's, it's, it's not kept in a vacuum. There's like a, an escape valve, right? In the warhead. So it escapes from the warhead on purpose though. So the blast itself is very minimal. But there's like a massive, huge neutron burst. Okay? It's, it's purely a tactical weapon, a badass tactical weapon. The neutron burst you know, takes out like all living things. But since the blast, the ex, like the firestorm part itself, is very minimal, you could just move in to where you want it because... Everything is left standing. Since it was just a neutron burst, uh, the radiation clears up a, a quicker, uh, making it ready for you to reserve your vacation spots. Doc? Yeah. What? I know you know better. What did I miss on that? Uh, well, the first bombs they used, like the ones on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, right. Uh, Those weren't thermonuclear. Those are just pure atomic, right? Yeah. But it still writes in the thermonuclear oh, because of, category. Yeah, because of the megatonic. It's just yeah. that whenever they went off, it was a uh, it was a full fusion reaction. Right. And it released gamma rays. Right, right, right. That's what I left out. Thank you. Okay, go ahead. And this was a uh, a partial fusion, and it only released the neutron rays. Right, that's that's and, what or, I was or a neutron burst, which would still cause your body to bite. You know, hey, you're dead. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. just like gamma rays. And, uh, gamma rays are like uh, you get a lot of gamma rays from the old style X-rays. Right. Yeah. But but all that's not. Oh God, I I tried to. I had this word in there and I've just passed over because I can't pronounce it right. That's non-concussive. Right. They they made an atomic weapon that was non-concussive. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I can barely say the word, much less. I know what it means. It means it doesn't have the big, uh, like, sound wave. Yeah, shit, it you know? doesn't have the knockdown power. Yeah, thank you. That explains it perfectly. Yes. But yet the neutrons are capable of penetrating through... Uh, everything that there is, yeah, yeah, including, uh, and their idea was, uh, if they, if the Russians had set up 
a uh, massive uh, the way the Russians think whenever they they have war is to outmass everything right and their first line would be uh, masses and masses of armored divisions that's exactly it that's and exactly it. they would drop this neutron bomb the neutron burst would penetrate all the armor kill all the, the the troops inside the armor but leave the armor intact and i believe part of the initial thing about it was also leaving the cities intact but they did not think you're killing everyone in the city you don't really need to keep their house right yeah so yeah, I think that's where the two worlds collide. They didn't want... <clears throat> when the explosion went off, they didn't want large amounts of debris and dust spreading mm. radiation over large areas. So they kept the blast area small and concentrated, but yet still capable of releasing, releasing a, yeah. a deadly burst of neutrons that would still do the same thing, which is kill troops. And it was it was intentionally put in well-populated areas to wipe, wipe everybody out. So, thank you, Doc. I tell you, he knows better than me on this. See, this was gonna be a uh, this was gonna be a story for Pierre where you can go. I told you conspiracy theories are through true. You know, it took him twenty years to find out about this. Uh, but he's nannying. All right, so the uproar started, Doc. You know, was, oh, you remember this? It was in the middle of the fucking that whole new no nukes thing. Yeah. Oh, you remember they were having concerts. Jackson Brown was raising money. <laughs> you remember that, <laughs> right? <laughs> I still have a no nukes pin. <laughs> oh, good for you, Doc. Is that ironic or do you really have it? Yes, I really have it. Yeah, it's just something I picked up uh, in the 60s. Right, but is it irony? Yeah, isn't it? <laughs> yes, that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> All right, Don't so, let me go into the Baldrick thing. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> God. All right, you and Mr. Bean. Blackadder. Yeah, yeah, but it's the same guy. I just don't know his name. So, uh, yeah. Rowan Atkins. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. So, yeah, they're having all these, like, no nukes rallies and concerts and shit, right? So, it this neutron bomb thing took off big time. Uh, there were rallies. Uh, non, non-relevant singer-songwriters were signing, uh, were singing to worthless protests. and But uh, there actually was a huge swell, right, in rejecting uh, the basic concept of the weapon, you know, killing the people and leaving the homes. So... It, if you're going to drop bombs in our name to kill people, you'd better damn well blow up their houses too, right? Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, if you're going to drop an atomic bomb flat in the area. Yeah, you, 
their homes got to go too. You can't leave their homes standing. So uh, uh, the shit spread. Uh, when it hits, <laughs> it spread when it hits the fan or, or <laughs> I I don't know if I can read this. I said, I wrote this doc. Well, the shit has has to spread when it hits the fan. Or what's the reason? I don't know. I guess I was being sarcastic. I was really uh, high. <laughs> I'm on the oxys again, okay? And I wrote this. Oh, fuck. I just wrote this one like Tuesday or Wednesday. All right, so yeah. If you're going to drop bombs in our name to kill the people, you'd better damn well blow up their houses too. Well, the shit has to dread when it hits the fan or what's the reason. Okay. I, I still don't understand it. Well, back then, the president actually listened to the people rather than, you know, humor them. Uh, Jimmy Carter put a stop to the neutron missile program because it was time, you know, to make this world a more humane place to live. And, you know, a good way to start might just be here to admit that people are more important than buildings. And the people rejoiced. Yay! The Cold War seemed uh, to cool down just a little and then just when things might actually have gotten a bit better in comes the reagan administration that's right reagan reopened the program in 1981 he kind of announced this just before announcing the strategic defense initiative you remember star wars yeah yeah that started him uh <clears throat> You know, real press that are, like, it sent the neutron bomb stories, you know, into our deadly forgotten arsenal of still kill stuff, right? Uh, calling it Star Wars got them sued, of course. Uh, they couldn't see that coming, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but the main thing was that we did not have anything close to the technical ability to do what they were going to do because it did not exist. So after a few trillion dollars, you know, a couple of decades, you know, finally after all the testing, yet never, ever, 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 ever worked. But the neutron bomb was all but forgotten because he announced he was starting it up at the same time he announced that. Until this little podcast right here. Right? Yeah. Until this little podcast. Bush the Elder stopped the program. Uh, but here we go. Russia, France, China, Israel, India, England are known to have successfully tested their own Neutron bombs. That's right. They're still out there. It's just, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's just nobody's used them yet, right? But 
Everybody has them. They're still there. Nobody talks about them, but they're still there. All it would take is from, you know, like one, one like Trump, right, to not listen to anything told to him and instead just go by his gut. Oh, that can't possibly happen, right? Push that button and use a neutron bomb somewhere, and guess what? Oh, these other countries got it. Gangway. Thank, yeah. Thank God something like that could never happen, right? <laughs> you know, imagine sitting there and, and listening to this podcast, and then all of a sudden a month later, you know, after all your remains <coughs> have been, like, dust mopped up, uh, a French family is now living in your house, and, and and this French piece of shit, right, turns on the podcast and cusses in French, you know, because he's French, you know, and then bypasses Give us this, an example. Then bypasses this uh, feet putain. That means throw the wrench, right, Doc? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's what Doc always thought feet putain means, throw the wrench. And, uh, you know, he hears this podcast and discuss and he puts on like the joe rogan podcast right what about us little guys fuck that bomb right fuck the neutron bomb that's how we ended it fuck the neutron bomb there was um uh in the late 80s as the star wars things was going on right they had in development. Uh, you were a, a marine uh, at the time, right? Yeah, uh, I just gotten out. Oh, just gotten out. But right. uh, I had gotten uh, a hold of some uh, information uh, where the idea was to, to put up a satellite that carried uh, uh, neutron bombs, oh. not to be dropped but to be set off in space and direct the neutron wave or, or the ray, like a, a particle beam way, uh, ray, into the direction that they wanted it to go so they could pinpoint, say, uh, a missile site in Russia. Oh, yeah, would, this is pretty good. They would set it off, and it would be like a particle beam way, uh, ray that would be nothing but neutrons, and it would hit, you know, whatever target they were aiming at. From space? Yeah, from space. Whoa. Um, you, you, the Russians were all bent out of shape whenever they finally, you know, exactly. when they heard about the neutron bomb. And anytime time uh, something was put out or published about a... Uh, Anything with uh, neutron radiation, right. it'd all flip them out because now, they had no protection against it. Exactly, and, and they were fucking pissed off because they found out this shit they'd been working on since the fucking late 50s, and none of their spies, no one in their group, no one had, they had no idea this was going on, and neither did the population of the U.S. until it just came out like at a briefing, right? Oh, this shit's gone on, fuck, you know, Cold War, 
uh, NATO troops. Uh, you you remember when fucking uh, the Soviet Union had like a mast right at the wall, like a hundred thousand troops. Just, oh yeah, just yeah. flexing their ass, right? So to counter that, Jimmy Carter was going to send some some of these neutron things over, right? And they said that's what they're going to do, and then all of a sudden, nobody's ever heard of that. What the fuck is that? Yeah. And it kind of built, and that's what happened, man. And all the border countries along the the communist area of occupation, you know, Czechoslovakia, uh, Poland... Um, oh, see, they're, they're all along hu- that, all along Hungary, that area. East Germany, all around that, that fucking yeah. that wall. Well, yeah. They had, uh, well, not in Germany because it could be spotted. But right. all the other countries that they had, they would have uh, uh, what they call tank farms or tank parks where they would park their tanks nose to tail. Yeah. One right after another. <laughs> Uh, 20 miles wide and one mile deep. I remember seeing that on the news, man, back in the day. Yeah. When and we- their whole idea was to <clears throat> first do a spearhead, break through in one area, and then spread out in a fan-like motion. Right. And just continue westward until they got to wherever they were going. And uh, that was their whole strategy. That's that was their strategy from the beginning of, of uh, you know, modernized war with yeah. Russia was the, just outmass the enemy. Uh, they did Napoleonic Wars. Yeah, they they did the same thing. They they did the same thing in World War One. The same thing in World War Two. Well, World War One, they they, uh, they that was when. Everything fell apart, right. and the Russian army no. fell back. They did it until and, like 1917, yeah. when yeah they they grabbed the royal family, and that's when the the Bolsheviks took over. But before and that, then they had the civil war between the uh, White Russians and the Red Russians, and uh, the Red Russians yeah. won. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Bolsheviks got kicked out, and. The new Russia came in, or the new communism came in. Oh, it's a, it's a deep history of of that era. It's so fucking interesting, though, man. It's it's fact is that the the scene, the 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 uh, the pictures that uh, photo reconnaissance was taking of all these tanks being built up was what caused America to sit back and go. We need to stop them somehow. So we need to yeah. stop them with some type of weapon, and then that's exactly it. They designed the A-10 Warthog, which is a true tank killer. So and, uh, and that it, was what it's. It's all it, it. It's so it's fascinating reading, for one. But then now you think about it, the tank. Probably the next war, a tank won't even be involved. Not a manned tank, yeah, no. Because you can't go through like city streets and all that. Warfare is different now, man. 
Oh, I, oh mm-hmm. I know it. And I'm glad I'm not in the military service oh, today because, fuck. you know, all you'd see, you wouldn't even see the puff of smoke or hear the shot and you'd just be dead. Right, right. You, you, you wouldn't be able to see, even though you couldn't see the line of the enemy, when they started firing, you would see a, like a line of smoke. You knew the general area that it was in even though you couldn't see them right but now you're going door to door house to house man woman child no man uh humanity at its best hey you you know what we should do we should just like take a bomb right and now fucking blow their houses down too those are pieces of shit we could rebuild them right that's like fucking slums right let's just blow that shit up oh wait no no we gotta make it look like we didn't do anything and I think that was a big part of it Doc the the uh, photography after it oh they didn't do anything look all the buildings are still here right Uh, America had taken the uh uh, no first strike stance. Absolutely, you know, they will not. They would not be the first one to push the button. Absolutely. somebody else would have to push the button before they would get involved. And uh, but they always had that finger. It was always right there. at the button, waiting. I remember ducking under the desks and drills and doing all that. Uh, Doc and I, Doc's. Uh, Doc grew up in like the Great Depression, right? Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, I'm 58, and I grew up in the Cold War. The vast majority of my life was in the Cold War. You know, from the fucking 60s uh, into the 80s, right? So I guess that's not the vast majority since I've lived longer. <laughs> you know, fuck my math, but that's how I grew up, you know. Uh, the Cold Being War scared. Yeah. actually really started when the wall went up in uh, yeah. Germany. Yeah, and, and then Although they, it, had been, it had been sitting there cooking for a while. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but they had to, they had to fucking uh, start doing airdrops. Yeah, in West Berlin, you know, because they they didn't they took half of West Berlin and gave the other half, you know. But yeah, yeah uh, Russia had taken uh, damn near all of Germany, right? But half of Berlin belonged to uh, the French, the Americans, and the Great Britons, and Russia on the other half. Right. And and Berlin's uh, in the middle of Germany. A lot of people were <laughs> leaving East Germany and going to West Germany because life was so much better. And that's when the wall went up to stop the people leaving that's from right. East to West because they were losing all their their, their manpower, their workforce. Yeah. It kind you know it was it it kind of it it. it it was like kind of a uh, what the fuck you call that? It was, uh, I mean, like a, a a repeating prophecy. I don't even know the words I'm trying to think of. God damn it! 
Sorry about the medication. But what happened was when World War II ended, right, the, the USSR, that was our ally in the war, started preparing for war with us. And there was many generals in the U.S. Army saying, we got to beat their ass now that we're already there. Right? Patton was the first one who came right. up and said, give me two weeks, I'll <laughs> pick a fight with them, start a war, beat their ass, and make it look like their fault. Right. And this was not like just a minimal thing. This was happening on both sides. And that's what started all this. Just started each side decided to start preparing for war against our ally, right? <laughs> well, it was Stalin's uh it was Stalin's paranoia. Yeah, that, Stalin was so fucking paranoid of that's everybody true. and everything that uh you know, he didn't trust us to begin with. Hey, but our generals but didn't he kept help wanting us. Wanting you know? us to help to beat the, the Germans. Right, right. And uh you know, he kept at the uh what was it potstan he got up there and said mm -hmm. you guys need to do more you need to do more you need to do more because you know we're we're losing millions of men uh, you know, a month and and people think hey yeah the u.s just went in there and kicked ass no it was russia that defeated germany it was russia <laughs> that went into the ussr that went into germany and, uh, That's why the city and the women and everything was just demolished. Everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the U.S. went into like Italy and France, but it was it was the Soviet Union that that took down uh, Germany. The fact is, uh, right as um, Russia was almost at the outskirts of berlin the americans received an order to stop their advance they had gone only oh. so far and they stopped their advance and they met the germans at the uh bridge at elbe yeah right right yeah and, and they shook hands and you know hey comrade this that and the other but then they they, they stopped everything they you know they stopped all their advancing and everything and uh they did Russia wanna, kept pushing on through, and and uh, they didn't want to be a part. You know, of some what people that were, were was, yeah. reasoning this as the fact that you know, okay, America is losing too many soldiers, too many people. We still got that war in Japan going on, uh, so you know, to save lives, we'll just stop here and let the Russians do it. Yeah, but that's not what it was. That's not what it and, was. It was. This was. Uh, this was personal <laughs> you know it's just yeah, like russia was, it was yeah. like the u.s had to defeat japan they weren't going to allow them to surrender to anybody else but them right because it was That's japan right, yeah. that poked us right well it was germany that had a peace treaty with you know the ussr and yeah, then a non-aggression pact right and then attacked him and yeah stalin said no i don't believe it 
And then by the time he started to believe it, there's a hundred something thousand people dead. Yeah. So it was personal. They just let them go in, and you know the fucking pillage that was done. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, Doc and I are just having conversations like we have every night. <laughs> Sorry to bore and you. And the reason, <laughs> one of the reasons Japan decided to go ahead and uh, finally capitulate was the fact that not only did we nuke them twice. Oh, well, that's right. Russia turned around and declared war on Japan and started its move. And oh, when oh yeah they uh, they uh, and that's, southern that's when, uh, Sir, Siberia yeah yeah and that's when uh, Japan goes oh we better quit this because we don't want Russia over here right they try to uh, they try to to fucking uh, oh fuck ah oh, goddamn sorry medication yep they. They try to turn themselves into Russia, you know, and say, ah. But the U.S. said, no, no, no. Yeah. We're the only ones. You can't, you can't say you're defeated to Russia and surrender to them, right? That was part of the deal. So Russia had to back down. And then boom, boom. Yeah, it, it was all about that's how Russia was with Germany Germany you're fucking surrendering to me same with the states and, and Japan no you're fucking surrendering to me you know you fucked us alright well I guess uh, we gotta end this podcast so I can take some more drugs <laughs> <laughs> I wish I was yeah, joking I haven't about that yeah I my medication this morning either oh you gonna be okay? Oh yeah, yeah. I can take one now and then hold off till about eleven to take the other one. So yeah, God, that's what I just can't understand about all the shit they got me on. I have to take them at like certain times. Cause if I don't, well, if I don't, you've seen. You've seen what happens. It's just nasty. Well, all mine's uh, mostly. Uh, you know, heart medication, anti-stroke medication, uh, uh, stuff for the esophagus, stuff for the stomach, oh, uh, yeah. stuff for the prostate. You oh. know, one of the things take twice a day. It doesn't say morning at night. It just says twice a day. So. All right. Well, anyway, thanks everybody for listening to our our prostate stories, <laughs> our uh, our history stories. <laughs> And uh, thank you. We do appreciate you listening. Uh, <laughs> uh, we do this one just kind of for fun, but thank you for listening. Doc, you had a good fucking story, man. Yeah, I think I'm going to do some bad guys next. Hmm. A bad guy's week. Maybe I can find a bad guy, too. Well, there's one of them is... is uh... It's, it's it's about bad guys, but it's what they try to do in a plot against the guy. Well, a plot against insurance companies, and they pick out one guy to do it against. And uh, anyway, okay. Well, I'm intrigued. 
All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening, and I guess we'll see you later. All right. Say goodbye, Gracie. Good night, Gracie.